Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts Sarenth Odinson and James Stovall talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Hello, goddesses of the earth. You who are in the earth, roots deep, mountain deep, wood deep. Hail to you, goddesses, in the waters. Reed and willow. Hail to you, O holy ones, roots of the world, digging deep, digging so deep into this world, providing us the foundation for all that we are, all that we have been, all that we will be. Hail to the three around the well. Hail to those who dwell above, between and below. Hail to all the holy ones, all the holy goddesses, the holy women who have made our lives possible. Hail to the holy healers, the warriors. Hail to the child bearers. Hail to the bearers of bodies. Hail to the holy ones who washed the newly dead. And hail to the holy ones who crossed them over. Hail to the goddesses who guard doorways. Guard the dead. Hail to the holy goddesses who keep their secrets tight and close. Hail to the holy goddesses who teach us how to do, how to be, how to act. Hail to the earth mother beneath our feet, ever beating, ever living. Hail, hail, hail. That's through heil. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 12. I am James Soval, joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Sarenth Odinson. How are you doing tonight, Sarenth? I'm good. Thank you. I'm really excited for tonight's show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a really great guest coming on here in a few seconds with us to join us on our conversation. Um, Any big news going on with you, Saren, that we should talk about first before you get going? Hmm. Aside from some new posts um, (laughs) on my blog, not really anything major going on right now. Just in the middle of vacation and been enjoying being able to stay home with the kids and really relax and enjoy their company oh that's fantastic you can find Sarenth's uh, blog at sarenth.wordpress.com you can also find him on twitter under that handle uh you can find me at james at the owl on instagram and uh, or wandering white hat on instagram james at the owl on twitter and uh, of course you can always find our show everywhere around here online especially the anchor app which we like if you're listening with the anchor app you can use that app to give us feedback on our show that we can incorporate into future episodes so please make sure that you join us there on anchor and leave us a good review share the show with some other people give us a good review on itunes or anywhere else that you're listening we really appreciate the support that you give us yeah, and I'm really looking forward to this uh, interview. So uh, are we ready to move into that? Yeah, go ahead. Take it away. You want to do the introductions? Well, I just wanted to give the floor over if you had any any special announcements or anything you wanted to get to first. 
Oh no, I'm. Uh, you know what? I'm. I'm uh, doing pretty well right now. I'm looking at my schedule coming up, so it looks like I'm going to be at convocation in February, and uh, yep. was just starting the conversation with the people at Michigan Pagan Fest about what that's going to look like this year. But uh, nothing firm yet. Nothing huge to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lovely between time, so it's it's a really good time to have a guest who I, I know is going to have a lot to share, and, and if nothing else, his words are inspiring and, and powerful, so I'm very happy to have uh, Kyron on. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. Now, for, so it's been a I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, for those not familiar, if you want to take a look real quick, Kyron's uh, website, Impact Shamanism, is a great place to find him. And he, I, I just want to throw out there real quick for everybody, uh, Kyron, you're a really great follow on, on Facebook, uh, especially, but also uh, I think I follow you on Instagram as well. But I, I particularly like from Facebook, you post a lot of really thought-provoking articles and links and, and a lot of good pieces, so... Oh, wow. Thanks so much. You know, that is, I feel like I have to say, you know, like there are things that are just, I think you all know this, so spirit inspired. And I think I had a huge block over the past, um, for many years around self-expression. Actually, that's like the big piece of my own uh healing that i've been working on and like digging and finding so many different like ancestral pieces like recent ancestral pieces related to like fear around self-expression and stuff and it's really only in the past year that i was i, I found myself able to uh, um just share more just share more sort of you know uh unabashedly you know like i'm gonna you know i'm, I'm gladly gonna share this cool article about shamanism and then this silly meme about sex you know <laughs> um, we're we're all here we're all human and um it's been you know really healing for me to to just be more of myself in that way so thank you so much for witnessing it's a real treat i gotta say uh, i follow you more on your twitter feed but your facebook feed is also alive with all this positive and really powerful questions for people and I love content like that because so much of the social media anymore is a lot of regurgitated themes that we've seen again and again. Yeah, I try to be choosy in my silly memes, you know. <laughs> Pick only the, the right, the, the weird and dark ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, you fit, you fit right in here because, you know, our show here, we do we talk about shamanism. And then, you know, the next episode, we're talking about comic books for a half hour and then some movie we saw. And, you know, it's just like it all relates to our lives. It all relates together. I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but acting is becoming a big part of, of your spiritual path kind of as well, isn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. If you want to go there, totally. I mean, it, it always has been or like theater performance, something. Um, and it's made me, and it used to make me angry because of this block and blocks are so interesting because, um, they can really, you know, sort of, be in our in our lives, uh, coming from a very specific direction, but and and we might realize the block is there. We might you know get divination from other people who are like, you got to do this. But until we you know, it's like an onion. We have to peel back those layers to understand the block better and to understand what's been standing in our way. So uh, I've, I've had uh, my whole life really profound experiences related to performance. Um, 
I've had, uh, I've, I've directed, you know, uh, written and directed a play where I, some of the actors just had really like weird shamanic experiences in relation to uh, the character they were playing off, you know, like outside of rehearsal. And they would like stop coming to rehearsal. <laughs> and then, you know, for weeks, they'd be like, what are you doing? And they'd like finally sit with me in my room, like really emotional and solemn and be like, you know, dude, this thing happened and I was not cool. Like this, like I saw a dead bird on my, you know, on my windowsill. Like this thing happened out in regular reality that had to do with my character and it really shook me up. And this was really, really early in my uh, practices as a, as an animist. So I, I, you know, really didn't know how to fully hold space for some of the experiences that people were having, um, even finding themselves being given characters whose lessons were directly mirroring the lessons that they were working through in their own life. But I just knew like, well, something's happening and this is a vessel for it. So let's do it. Um, so directing, I saw that more the acting piece, you know, the body is a funny place, you know, being human is a little strange. I think a lot of my blocks around acting in addition to some ancestral stuff was um, personal and life you know identity stuff but having moved through some of that this past year i did find a ridiculously appropriate role that was given to me <laughs> last second like the day before they started shooting and when i read the script i was like are you kidding me because of the level of um because the extent to which mental health and mm -hmm. identity were all wrapped up in the role it was like literally me in the same position as so many people I've directed in the past was in, and it was nothing less than profound to make sense of this character and to embody it. It also felt a little dangerous because I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. I do have a very alive shamanic practice and there were moments during the shooting as I was moving back and forth between uh, this character's identities that I felt my spirits getting really frenzied and excited about all of the like um, shamanic shifts in consciousness. And I was literally like spent half the shoot praying, like you guys have to chill the fuck out. Like you have to <laughs> chill out. I do not have a bottle of Florida water to hand to these, you know, undergrad film students and say, if you find me smoking a cigar and speaking Creole in five minutes, just slap <laughs> me on the back of my neck with this. So, um, yeah, it's been, you know, thank you. Let's just, thank you for just jumping into the deep end. I am an actor, performance artist, in addition to the other work I do. And uh, I am not an expert <laughs> in terms of what it means to navigate this yet. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's an interest to me because uh, Saren Thilotest, he's had his own experiences on stage and, and with performance mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, even myself, like, uh, it's amazing how the performance that I've done impacts my spiritual path. And, and likewise, uh, how my shamanic path is, is influenced my, my performance. And I've always said that and maintained that there, there is a level of showmanship there to a good shamanic practice. And I don't know, they just all, they, they tie together so well for me. And I know I can really relate to you th through that. And that was one of the things I was really interested in. Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because when I was an undergrad, I was studying the relationship between theater and ritual. So this wasn't all entirely foreign to me. It was just 
foreign to me as to how I would carry that in my own life and body. So here I am an undergrad and, you know, my different professors and other people are seeing, you know, seeing the direction I'm looking at, I'm, I'm looking in and are um, recommending books and resources to me that speak to that relationship between um, spirit work and showmanship. And I'm, and, and at the time it was pissing me off because I didn't want to emphasize charisma. I wanted to knew, know what was effective spirit work technology. Turns out charisma is effective spirit work technology. Oh, yeah. But, you know, um, however, you know, we do live in a culture that, you know, with so many you know, spiritual scam artists and so many people working off just the charisma. I kept sort of maintaining this idea. I want to know what's real. I want to work with what's real and I want to master what's real. Um, and it was only a few months ago that that fear around um, that fear around the showmanship, that showmanship as a tool really broke. And part of that was also um, me starting to receive the download about the word bravado. You know, bravado um, gets a really bad rap in our culture because it's used to for so many you know shitty reasons. Bravado, but the idea of bravado is actually really interesting. It's the root of the word of bravado is brave, um, and bravado can be used on behalf of things that serve life. If you think about you know. Um, a bark, a bark, you know, can, can, if you bark loud enough or well enough, if you put up a good enough exterior, for instance, in an issue of protection, uh, that can make enemies run. Mm -hmm. uh, that can accomplish the goal in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, bravado can also inspire bravado and bravery in others. There's a reason why there's so much bravado when it comes to uh, military and, um, you know, and, and masculine, you know, and, and so much of cultural masculinity because it's really supposed to be something that serves the people. It's supposed to be on behalf of the people. So these new lenses I'm working with are helping me to process not just stuff around shamanism and spirit work, but around uh, masculinity, honestly. Oh, wow. That has a lot of impact because our, our, our society, we've got, uh, I mean, uh, masculinity is just so fraught with issues. It really is. And I've been looking at, um, I think we're all looking at some of the wounds here. You know, we think in the past year or so, we have this term uh, toxic masculinity. And obviously it's gotten some backlash because some people are processing that as just masculinity equals toxic. But um, I've been seeing a couple of really cool, like, little comics and memes that are really just trying to express like, no masculinity is not inherently toxic. Um, toxic masculinity is toxic. And let's look at the ways in which men had um, men and male identified people um, have been socialized to not have emotions and to not express their emotions um, we're wounding as, as, as men and male identified people we're wounding so many people because we're so wounded. Yeah, that was uh, something that really kind of struck me with some of the memes you've been sharing and some of the, and in raising my, my, my son in this time, but something that keeps coming up again and again and again is 
how the overculture really likes to push us to bottle ourselves up because it's so inconvenient to have people who are emotionally whole people. <laughs> um, yeah. We make scenes. We we have feelings and we need to express them and it's messy and, and we have this regimented society where we don't have time for mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and we... I, I, I don't know if you saw something I posted recently. There's this... Um, I haven't worked with them um or been able to delve that deep into their work yet there's this organization um whiteawake.org and i was just reading a recent article of theirs um on the roots of whiteness and it really uh goes into the theft of the commons in england um and it really sort of details the history of this regiment uh this regimentation that you're uh talking about here this is not natural at all <laughs> you know this is not um this is entirely for the benefit of not the folks not the people for things to be this regimented for our wild to be held hostage in this way our wild selves our wild emotions our wild relationships with ourselves our wild relationships with each other and the earth uh, all of this has been um really kidnapped and held hostage by um some forces and we're we're suffering tremendously yeah it uh it reminds me of a talk by john trudell called the tribes of europe um it's easy to find on mm -hmm. youtube under that entitle where he goes into talking about how the tribal peoples of europe basically swallowed the poison that the christians brought and eventually you developed the ideas of there's a white man and there's a not white man. There's, you know, it was first used by the English for colonial reasons. You know, you're, you're a white English colonialist or you're not. I mean, the Irish were counted as not white once upon a time. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's this really nice dividing tactic. And, you know, uh, what, what can be more quintessential than, you know, to keep the stiff upper lip stereotypical, uh, stereotyped British attitude of I don't need to show emotion I'm just I'm going to be this wall and all things will pass before me when that's that's really not how we as as human beings as men work we not eventually break down yes male suicide rates are so high um, and if we don't you know kill ourselves then we're we're, we're causing a lot of harm to folks around us Do, do you find that that uh, now I know you do a lot of, of healing work and clearing work for people. Do you where's the greatest demand coming from? Is it coming from more men now? Is that is that growing with your practice or is uh, how would you say that the, your, your typical client looks? That's a really good question. I get I get asked that pretty often, and I never think that I think that the answer probably never satisfies anyone. <laughs> um, I, um, in my experience, my practice is really diverse. Um, in terms of all demographics, age, um, gender, sex, um, and occupation, um, but there is there are some themes that I've found though um, for for certain demographics um, in terms of um, sex and gender sometimes um, because there are some I think initiatory 
processes that we are meant to go through. Um, if you think of initiation, not just as initiation into a specific tradition or initiation by a spirit, but initiation as a function, as something that is supposed to fulfill a function. So initiation uh, into a tradition is supposed to fulfill the function of killing off the old you and rewiring you to carry the medicine um, and, you know, of this lineage. That's the function. Uh, but there are other kinds of initiations, uh, some of which are, um, you know, what life gives to us, some of which are really supposed to be held for, held space for by community. And one of those initiatory functions I believe are meant to go through is initiation into adulthood. Um, so I know that there was a certain uh, time in my practice. It's not as prevalent in my practice right now, just it's not the people who are coming to me, but there was a time where a lot of um, young men in their uh, 20s were coming to my practice, mostly focused on um, you know, aware that they had creative and spiritual gifts and wanting some guidance in relation to those. And for a number of them, um, the spirits that were stepping forward were really pushing in the direction of actions that would help fulfill the function of initiation into adulthood for them. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of me being in trance and being shown um, literally you know, a fire, uh, not to be, not to be cliche, but literally a fire, literally a fire like, you know, and and being shown them dancing around it by their spirits, like get to this point where you're not afraid of this heat, kid. Mm -hmm. Get to this point where you know yourself to be this heat. Um, I think that some of the commonalities that we find in the initiatory function of initiation into adulthood is the need for the individual to remove their plugs from being plugged into mom and dad as source and being plugged into source right Earth right as source but that's a huge leap that's the leap that's that's the literal um leap that makes us not leave you know basic bitches we made on Tinder because mm -hmm. we don't want Uber afraid of abandonment. It's the, it's the same fear. It's always the fear of abandonment and death, but usually that fear is taking place on such an unconscious and subconscious level. We don't even register it as what it is. We're just like, Oh, but he cooks me macaroni and it doesn't taste bad. It's <laughs> like, get over that. There's some real juicy steak right here. You know, if you can just let go of that, you know, the, the wounds and stories that your parents provided you up until this age of, you know, really probably should be like age 12, 13. Mm -hmm. That's great time to unplug through this initiatory right, this initiatory process that um, is going to kill off the old you. And then you're going to come out of it thoroughly plugged into much greater so vital sources than little old human mom and dad so that you yourself can function as a spiritually initiated adult. Um, so for these young men that were coming, you know, and a common thing that would show up in some of these uh, journeys was, um, you know, they weren't all the same, but was grandfather fire literally being there and then and, and calling to these young men to step up and 
you know, and pull out and plug in um, and into these bigger sources and also um, the importance of uh, paternal ancestors, paternal mm -hmm. ancestral lines, meeting, you know, actually being in trance and meeting some of these young men's um, ancestors from their paternal ancestral line, stepping forward and, and endowing them with the courage and medicine that they needed because you don't you don't do a leap like that alone you know if ever you know when we're led to a cliff and said you know jump there's a lily pad there's supposed to be there someone on the other side to catch you so seeing these you know male warrior ancestors these writer ancestors these um visionary ancestors stepping forward and saying we you are the culmination of us and we've got you you can make this leap so now jump because we need the fullness of the medicine that you're bringing and you're to, to stay plugged into mom and dad, the way that you are is playing too small for what you've come here to do. Hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes it good. Oh, I was gonna say that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, it's okay. Um, I was going to actually, I was going to say literally word for word what you just said. <laughs> We've been hanging around each other too much, my friend. <laughs> oh, just a bit. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, Keith, I can throw out there again one more time. Your your uh, website is Impact Shamanism. Are there other places that people can look for your work, or is that the best location? That's the best location. Um, you know, I've written a couple of books that you can find on Amazon. Um, more focused on um, folk magic at this time, but uh, I do have some projects in the works that incorporate folk magic, but are taking a more um, perhaps shamanic slash political spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're getting into now, because I'm I wanted to ask a follow up question about the ancestor work there, but I I, I kind of want to give people a basis of where you're coming from. Would you mind talking about that a little? Sure. Um, I am a, um, <laughs> I have two answers. I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, I'm just some dude from Queens, New York. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all correct. So, <laughs> you know, I like to watch Ugly Betty and, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, <laughs> the other, uh, preferably in my underwear. Um, the other side of my life is um, I am a um, hoodoo root worker. I'm uh, a root doctor who's been trained by different um conjures in the folk magic tradition um, that comes out of the American South, uh, the sort of black Protestant folk magic tradition often focused on roots and herbs and uh, zoological curios toward uh, spell work and magic and you know, cleansing uh, to remove harmful energies and bad luck and crossed conditions and replace uh, that kind of stuff with what you're looking to attract and manifest. Um, I am also an Ngan Asogwe in Haitian Bodu. Uh, I made Kanzo a few years ago in uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, and I belong to uh, Societe in uh, the tradition. And that's very close to my heart, the Loa. I did not, um, I, I felt called to the tradition for some time, but I was uh, very reluctant to initiate, mm -hmm. um, not for any specific reason, just in general, which was kind of strange when I think back, because oftentimes in my life, spirit's been like, jump, and I've been like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those like, weird times where I was just like, 
really feeling it out. And by the time it actually happened, there was a there were a few different signs that were like, dude, you are so overdue for this. And it was really one of the best decisions that I could have ever made for my life. Um, the if you're called to a uh, tradition, and I think that a lot of Westerners, not all, but I do think a lot of Westerners are called to some indigenous and diasporic traditions, but they don't know mm -hmm. or they think being quote unquote spiritual or spiritual in a very open Western way is enough. And I don't <laughs> think it always is. Um, <laughs> I don't think it always is. I think that yeah. um, some of us have some contracts that we've made. I think that there are, you know, it's not just contracts, there's family waiting for us. I've gone on, so I've, you have no idea how many times I've like gone to like hook up with someone just to find out that I'm there to be like, oh fuck, you know, like my head starts buzzing weird. I'm like, we're not here to have sex. We're here for me to tell you that you're supposed to be in this tradition. Go talk to your ancestors. I'm leaving. Get me over. <laughs> um, oh no. But, um, so, so those are, Shaman um, Tinder problems. You know, you, I really like. I could write a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, there's this other piece. Um, oh, you know, Kimbanda is also important to me. I'm not a Tata, but I, uh, I do have license, licensa in Brazilian Kimbanda. And then there's been this like really weird other piece, which has been being uh, a, a, a shamanic healer, being a spirit initiated shaman, because it's a lot. Um, as you both know, it, it, it's a lot harder to put a finger on mm -hmm. in terms mm -hmm. of definition around when spirits literally show up and um, and initiate you um, and say, this is what's going on now. And it feels like a threat. It feels like you're being kidnapped and you are. <laughs> um, but it's it's really because you're being kidnapped by your own calling. Um you're being kidnapped by your own cohort. You're being kidnapped by your own family, um, your real family, for those of us who've experienced uh, terrifying abuse at the hands of our human family. Um, this is like you're coming home, only you don't know it's home. It's, it's, it's Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> only, you know, only less people to affirm <laughs> that it's Hogwarts. Um, so... I had a, a very interesting uh, shaman sickness experience. We all have very, very interesting spirit initiatory experiences for those who have experienced spirit initiatory experiences. <laughs> um, but, but mine was interesting for me in the sense that I, uh, it took years for me. It was, uh, again, an onion of peeling back layers for years. Um, it's only this past year that I was able to finally confirm and heal some of the uh, aspects of that initiatory experience that had to do with Dionysus. This is actually hmm. the first time I'm even mentioning publicly my relationship to Dionysus because it was really traumatic. <laughs> it was really traumatic um, when it happened. And it uh, happened on his on the island of Naxos in Greece. I was actually like led through omens and signs to get to the island that had his ancient temple on the island. Uh, and that's really where it started. Uh, but it was only this past, you know, that was like five years ago, but it was only this past year that I cleared away enough of the stuff that was standing in the way of me having a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that I was able to do that. And then all of this other stuff about myself made sense. For years, I've said that the musical hair, I was like, you know, I would tell people like, I think the musical hair is like my helping spirit because I'm in love with it. I've directed it once. I've directed it once in a really like deep circumstance. It's not that uh, the musical hair is my helping spirit. It's like he fucking wrote hair, you know, that there's no musical that's more Dionysus than the musical hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this makes me laugh so much because I, I, my connection like that uh, through through a show is Rocky Horror. So like, I get you. I feel where you're coming from on that one. It's just, it's funny because they they speak through culture. They speak through it. These forces are gigantic and old, and they will not be silenced. And it really doesn't serve us to silence them. If we need Dionysus, if we've ever needed him, you know, before, we really need him right now. Um, in terms of that energy of our our wild um, needing to be reclaimed. Um, so, you know, if, if people want to understand where I'm coming from, sorry for being so verbose, that's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from this background of a, a couple of, um, really beautiful traditions of magic and, um, and healing and some wily stuff that's been interesting to navigate as a contemporary Western person. No, the, the only, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. The only thing I have an issue with is every, you make every few statements, you make something that spurns about five or six more statements or questions <laughs> for me. So this is, this might go on for yep. a while if we're not careful. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear everything. Um, anything? Shoot. Yeah. Did you, you want me to go ahead, Sarah? You want me to keep rolling? Go right here? ahead. Man. <laughs> right. You, so I don't want you to lose the thread. Uh, there's a couple places I want to back up to, but, um, so a lot of what you were talking about was with ancestral spirits. And so Sarah and I have had a lot of conversations and we've taught a lot of people and we've done a lot of work with ancestral spirits. And, so I want to know, based on essentially your perspective, because you're in a different part of the United States, different traditions than Sarah and I were, we really saw a, a, a zeitgeist of ancestral work in the last five or so years. It seems like the the amount of people doing ancestral work, ancestor altars, going to graves, that sort of thing is just exploded in the last few years. And did you see that as well? Or is it a little bit different in the area of the country that you're in? Did it hit earlier than that? What What's it look like for you? I think I had, I think I did see that. I mean, I, I, I entered, you know, the spiritual world, maybe, uh, uh, 10 years ago or so. Um, so coming from the, I think the African diasporic traditions of, uh, of hoodoo and, um, and voodoo, that, that pulse is always there of maintaining a relationship with your ancestors. Keep that going. I know it to be less common in neo-pagan traditions um there's less of an emphasis placed there i think um but i can imagine that in the past five or six years that has shot up um so if there's been any i guess i've always always been in a position to see that not that i necessarily know what everyone is doing um but it is interesting to see everyone's reaction to what they find Mm -hmm. um because it's not like a spell where we do the spell and we all get the five hundred dollars, you know, the job. <laughs> it is. We're talking about, you know, personalities. We're talking about specific wounds. We're talking about specific assholes. We're talking about, <laughs> you <Right>? know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about this, you know, 
near endless amount of very you know variations possible on what beginning to interact with your ancestors might mean and what uh, blocks might show up to that, who shows up first, whether or not they should stick around, um, near endless varieties. And I think that that's probably a little bit difficult for people to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I think you're right there. I think there was a, the navigation problem was very difficult for a lot of people because, um, at least for myself, uh, a lot of it was uh, modeled after Voodoo traditions because I I didn't have a model in any of the contemporary pagan structures that I had, and and even the the Peruvian shamanism that I'd been taught, um, they had stripped out aspects of the culture to make it more consumable for the Western audience. And a large mm. part of what they do in Peru is work with ancestral spirits. You know, the ancestral spirits are so important to a lot of things down there, and yet it just wasn't in what was taught here in the North. And so I had to kind of rebuild it, and I used voodoo as a lot as my template. And I think a lot of people are, are, are facing that sort of dilemma where they're, it does cause a little uncomfort at first because you don't know what you don't know. And so you've got to, you know, just grab what you can get and cobble it together. And that, that does create a little bit of stress, I think, sometimes on people's spiritual traditions. Absolutely. Um, and and when, when what you don't know is, you know, has the potential to give you a headache, you know, <laughs> or literally, you know, or you go to a, a um, you go to someone who is who belongs to a tradition and they tell you something very flat out like your ancestors don't like you you know like that that can be i've heard that and that can be really off-putting you know this whole thing everything that you know we're talking about here has to do with context and it has to do with the ramifications that we're all experiencing from having been decontextualized from our ancestors from the land from ourselves, from each other. And where there is abstraction, there is exploitation. We have been mm-hmm. purposefully abstracted mm-hmm. from all of these things for the purposes of exploitation. So when we have people who wield these technologies in a rather fatalist manner and tell someone who's very impressionable and might be working through some things, um, something like your ancestors don't like you. Um, there's some piece of that that could be true, but to speak for hundreds of thousands of years mm-hmm. of people before that person, like this doesn't, what does this serve? Is this really serving the person? So I, I guess I say all that to say that um, I myself am not a, um, a master of all ancestral technologies. <laughs> I, I, I know a few things. I, I think I have very good ancestral technologies in my own practice, but um, I refer people sometimes, I will refer people to uh, to Ababalao in Ifa, because Ifa has very good ancestral technologies. I'm not just talking about talking to one's ancestors, I'm talking about when we reach the point where it's like, in order for this situation to get dealt with, your ancestors need to get fed with a mm-hmm. goat. Mm-hmm. And I've never killed a goat, not yet. And I don't have the technologies to do that right now. So I'm, you know, when 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 certain um, ancestral needs show up that are are beyond my scope, I'm glad to refer people to any fa practitioner, to a different shamanic practitioner, um, to um, a dagra elder. There's a dagra elder, Maladoma Somay, um, who is um, really 
really great diviner, and I know that he um, does consultations online, but he also travels around the country. Uh, he's written a few books, Maladoma. Um, yeah, Maladoma Somme. He's actually, I think, especially here to help contemporary Westerners navigate this stuff using the technologies that he knows. Mm-hmm. And I think that his technologies are awesome, being someone from a traditional, you know, indigenous culture, but they're not necessarily all going to be awesome for us. So mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. the more that we keep our finger on the pulse of the possibilities that are available so that we can refer each other to each other, we can get this done. Yeah, it's something that's coming up a lot in the circles I travel in is how do we serve the ancestors better? How do we work with them and worship them better? Um, and coming specifically out of the heathen model on that, uh, we have some definite role models we can look to, but we don't have anything like orally handed down. So at least some of it is kind of going back and going, well, this is what the wheel kind of looks like. You put a, you put spokes there, you put the wagon uh, cap there, and then you <laughs> yes. have it made over here. <laughs> Yes. There's a so lot of to reinvent the wheel. You just have to look at how it functions. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of inspiration. I mean, that, that, we're, that we're working with here as contemporary Westerners and some people really poo poo that. And I'm like, um, excuse me, this is human genius. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is human genius for us to re-engineer our ancestral ways. Oh, are you kidding me? This is the shit. This yeah, is it's, the stuff it's right a real here. blessing. It's a real blessing, and it is creative. And um, you know, you think about the Japanese um, pottery art, where like a bowl or a teacup gets broken, and then the uh, cracks are filled in with gold. Mm-hmm. Um, there is gold that is coming. I mean, like, sure, everything sucks. But there's gold <laughs> that is coming out of the fact that everything got really shitty. Part of that gold is that when we, when this shit becomes standardized, when our visionary re-engineering of embodied ancestral landways becomes solidified again, this shit's going to be dope and it's going to be much harder to ever shatter again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could totally see that. I actually, it, what you just said kind of reminds me, I, I kind of, I've told my students sometimes that, uh, you know, a lot of ways our spiritual path is to seek balance. The irony is that we never learn anything when we're in perfect balance. It takes like those shattering right. moments to learn something, you know? Stasis is death. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So Dionysus has come up a couple different times on this show, and I, I think the the the, the <laughs> we've picked up a a new spiritual patron here because uh, uh, <laughs> the uh, Dionysus comes up quite a bit. So I, I want to ask you something a little bit. This is the first time you've talked about it at all. My curiosity comes from a lot of people have. Um, fears approaching the uh, diaspora traditions because of their cultural background or their racial background. And so we're, let's flip this coin over a little bit. If you're someone who has uh, a different racial background than a lot of the Dionysus workers, 
what kind of obstacles and problems did you have to overcome? Like when you say there was, there was layers of that onion you had to peel. Can you tell us just a little bit, a thumbnail sketch of what that looked like and help people kind of relate to that a little bit? I don't know if it's very relatable, but I can try to give it a quick. <laughs> the, the layers, the onion layers I had to, so I, I feel like we're, I, I feel like I can digest this in two ways. Okay. Um, one would be the un, the actual onion layers, and the other piece would be how do I navigate it demographically? Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the, um, I'll start with the first one. Um, the actual onion layers were because um, there were some strange things that happened in my shamanic uh, process in which certain spirits showed up for me to help me go through the initiatory crisis I was going through or really to cause it. Not all of them were mine. This is part of the issue of going Mm. through part of the issue of being a contemporary Westerner, Mm -hmm. you know, him and part of the issue of being a contemporary Westerner going through an experience not mediated by elders. You know, hopefully more of us can become elders who can hold space for people going through spirit-induced uh, initiatory crisis of all kinds because there's all different kinds of initiatory crises that, crises that people can go through. Shaman sickness isn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, people have near-death ex- you know, near experiences that cause you know huge spikes in their psyche, psychism. People um, have dark nights of the soul. There are all kinds of different you know, initiatory crises that people can go through. I think it's important for us to uh, identify and name them well because right now everyone is just, you know, doing the 10 ways to know you're a shaman or 10 ways to know you're an empath checklist. And it's really not. (laughs) You mean, I can't figure that out from a Facebook quiz. Come on. Yeah. It's like, Oh, great. I'm an empath. It's like, okay, this isn't (laughs) enough for, for what you've got to navigate. So I had some weird um, stuff thrown in my mix that really wasn't mine. And uh, I think it's due to some ancestral things. Um, some early trauma life things. So part of the onion layers was me peeling back those pieces that were discovering that that was happening, peeling back those pieces that weren't mine so that my, um, my spiritual court could be more solid Mm -hmm. and really like, these are the spirits that are supposed to walk with me. Not these are the spirits that could walk with me. If this other, like that's, we don't need that. We're here for like, a limited time. We have shit to get done. You want to make sure that your friends are your friends. For um, <laughs> so that, that was that piece. The um, demographics piece has been interesting too. It's been, I think, a bit of a mental mind. It's been a bit of a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Uh, it was my spirits in one tradition, an African diasporic tradition, who one day told me you know, you have really, really strong allies um, on Mount Olympus. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, looking at the rest. Like, like, it was like so strange. It was like, like, like you, this was like the polar opposite of Sky Mommy and Sky Daddy mm-hmm. kinds of people. Like, <laughs> what do you even know about Mount Olympus? Like, who told you about Mount Olympus? Like, you know, like, and they're like, yeah, look over there. And, um, and so, I, you know, I, I was at a particularly low point in my life at the time and i started you know working with some of the the greek spirits um because i was being told like these are like family to you i was like okay and i I was really blown away by the 
by the love that was being shown to me. And that's what I think people don't necessarily get to. People are, you know, in our very individualist culture, they, everyone wants to be a, a, a rebel without a cause. Um, <laughs> find home, find your family, find mm-hmm. your family, then go be a rebel without a cause because nothing's going to support you more than your people. And to find out um, through synchronicities, omens, um, even spirits from the African diaspora, um, all showing up and saying, look in this direction, these are your folks. Mm-hmm. You can't really deny that, you know, no matter how much of a mind fuck it is. Um, so that was, you know, I guess I haven't spent much time with the Dionysian folks um, or in Hellenic community. But this will probably be the first year that I actually start to try to maintain a uh, Hellenic devotional calendar. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, like, I, I mean, I don't, like, when I say, you said, oh, shit, maybe should I not? Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. See, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat, you rotten bastard. So, <laughs> like, uh, last night or the night before, I had a really powerful dream which i'm pretty damn sure was dionysus and he's been coming in my life a lot so like i've got an ultra space dedicated to him and i'm just i'm sitting here every time you're bringing up all this stuff with dionysus and other gods from different cultures and diviners and such from different cultures going yeah you really should be talking with these people and i'm going yeah you know but that sounds like a lot more fucking work Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Isn't that always the issue? A lot more fucking work. And if exactly. Um, so and because there's so many things that are a lot more fucking work and because we as humans are so creative and we've created endless ways to distract ourselves and each other, there is always that necessity to that need to come back and be like, so what's going to sustain me. There was really a point in my practice where um, because of the community that I was, you know, the communities that I was moving in and the way I had sort of been taught how to be a public spirit worker, um, I saw, I sort of saw this um, potential to just rack up titles, just mm-hmm, rack up mm-hmm, titles. Mm-hmm. And now I do this and now I wear a cape <laughs> and now I go mwahahaha. <laughs> Tuesdays, and now I've got a top hat, and now I've got a prenda, and now it was like, whoa! Like when I really saw that that was sort of the only framework that I was being given mm-hmm. for the value of these profound relationships that I could cultivate with the spirit world. There was this real need for me to step back and just say, "This is bullshit." What actually is important here? Um, and that's when I sort of began to work out my sort of biggest candle theory. You know, it's not about the biggest candle. Mm-hmm. It's not about the most powerful culture. It's about what's yours. Claim what's yours. And there are these spirit relationships that are innately yours. Right, right. There's ones that aren't aren't necessarily for the public consumption. Like, yeah. like you know, there's... I might have some profound work I'm doing with a spirit or a God, but that doesn't mean I'm ready to leap out into the public eye and go, ha ha Zeus is here to help you. And I am his guide. And you know, it's like, there's a lot of, there's, there are, are so many relationships that we're maintaining personally that aren't necessarily for public consumption. So, 
Yeah, that right there is exactly my relationship with Dionysus. That is exactly it. I am not not in a place where I feel comfortable being public about my relationship with Dionysus. Not because there's anything really all that weird going on, but because there's so much there that I need to work through. This is the first time. This is that's the reason why it's the first time I've ever even mentioned his name publicly. Um, and it's only because I feel comfortable with you guys because I know that you, you know, what I'm talking about here from a from an animus perspective. Um, and I, and I would venture to say that, you know, even at this time, even though he was such a crucial element of uh, my initiatory experiences um, and like such a marker, even at this time, I'm actually not called to maintain a devotional relationship with him. There's something about that at this moment where that almost feels like that would be a distraction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm from doing the Dionysian things I'm supposed to do. I, I'm very <laughs> curious. I hope you keep uh, keep making some public posts, or at least uh, feel free to reach out to me, because I'm very curious, because a lot of the conversations we've had with Dionysians so far, um, a lot of them revolve really closely around a slightly different way of approaching plant spirit medicine than some of the other traditions. And I'm, I'm interested in how that might all tie back together for you with your, your root work base that you came, came from. Oh my God. That's so funny that you're bringing that up. So, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so he has a way like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow. So here I am, you know, some time ago, um, speaking and working, you know, working with a colleague uh, and them sort of helping me make sense of, okay, this Dionysus piece that for you is just this trauma that happened a few years ago is actually much bigger than you understand. Look at yourself, Chiron. You are so Dionysian, even if you never actually look at him again, (laughs) like you are a performance person and you know a social person and 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 he was the one who brought up the you know you have this connection to the wild and the forest that you had as like being a city boy that you never cultivated and i was able to share with him that i had had this um these repeated dreams that were speaking to those themes, but I had never tied them to Dionysus. I thought that they were another spirit speaking to me. But then I started researching. I was like, oh, shit, this is some <laughs> real ancient symbolism that's been showing up in my dreams, like, hard-hitting and repeatedly, at least monthly, for years, that I wasn't able to make sense of before. And I, um, I the, the, the whole plant piece was right in there and it was not something that I saw coming. It's not something that I knew was related to Dionysus. Uh, to be honest with you, I had a, a real bias toward him. I was like, who is this freaky dude? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, for, you know, like maybe for like a one-time hookup or something, but mm-hmm. like, why is this freaky dude trying to take up so much space in my life um, with his, you know, insanity? <laughs> and then it was like, um, no, this is it's just so interesting the way you can separate yourself from yourself just like not see yourself right oh Even my gosh like, yeah beginning yeah, to like, be. look at his mythology and like the thrice born stuff like being able to like see how much that resonated with some of my own like childhood and ancestral stuff like mm-hmm. dude like stop like 
why are you so obsessed with me as mariah carey would ask um <laughs> but then it was like oh that's why because this is because this is real and this is true i don't know where the plant stuff is going yet i can say that since this connection has been made stronger in my life i am far more sensitive to substances mm -hmm. than ever oh yeah um, yeah that would make sense it's it's a little frustrating because I keep thinking that I am who I once was, and even like a beer, alcohol is kind of a uh, kind of hallucinogen for me now. It's, mm -hmm. it's frustrating. Um, <laughs> I can't navigate it in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, wasn't it was it uh, Sanyun and I uh, and you and I that were talking about the relationship with Dionysus and uh, the creation of tinctures and things like that, like how you introduced mm -hmm. the plant spirits to alcohol. Yep. Okay, yep, you're that saying that as I walked over to my shelf. As you were saying that, I was taking a dropper full of a tincture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, also about how he brought mead to uh, the ancient Greeks and all that. So, uh, yeah, that that whole this is all a lot of things coming full circle for me too. A lot of this conversation, I'm just sitting here going, "Oh, okay, I'm supposed to hear all this." <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, was this an episode that you guys did with Sagan? Because I'd love to hear this. Yeah, what about? three or so episodes ago, I would think mm -hmm. something like that. So like, yeah, yeah, for, please check it out. I think you might like it. I think we've done uh, two shows that are very, had a lot of Dionysus information in them. So um, I'm sure they're easy to find. I think I have marked fairly clearly. You'll have to go back and take a look. I don't remember exactly what episodes they are though. Cause I'm a terrible host that way, but well, I, I will. Thank you so much. No, I'm really excited to hear that. Cause that is really up my alley. Something else I want to share about the whole Dionysus thing that's interesting to me is um, for years, anytime I was like aware that this was a piece of my puzzle and, wa and wanting to navigate it, uh, I would go online and start trying to research. And it was like trying to read Greek. You know, it was, it was just so <laughs> confusing to me. You know, you go to the Orphic Mysteries, uh, Wikipedia, and it's like, the Orphic Mysteries, and, the, and, it, and it was just so dry, and I couldn't make sense of the histories mm -hmm. and the timelines, and it literally just felt so dead-end and a little exhausting because I'm like, why am I, if this is a piece of my puzzle, then why am I a mystery to myself? This isn't helpful. And it wasn't until I uh, met someone very synchronistically and very spirit-led, and they uh, had a much better grasp on uh, the history of Dionysian and Orphic mysteries and stuff, and I told them, like, it never makes any sense to me. So so-and-so shows up first, and then who? And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like this. And as they began to orally, I think what mattered right? here was I needed to get it orally. As they began to share oral history with me, mm -hmm. and to the room lit up. It was like the room filled with ancient spirits as they were telling me the the, the history of these of these um, initiatory cults and who came first and the role of Orpheus. Uh, things I just could not understand before. And literally, I, you know, by the end of it, I'm like, my head is in their lap and I'm weeping mm -hmm. because 
the profundity of the experience and everyone there. It was like, now is the time for you to know. Now is the time for you to understand. And here is the person to transmit this oral history to you. And it's so potent for me too, because from an academic standpoint, um, I got my master's in performance studies and performance studies, a, a big piece of it, what drew me to it is this conversation of how do we culturally transmit knowledge? Mm -hmm. uh, there is, you know, in our Western world, there's a, a big emphasis on transmitting knowledge uh, through what uh, Diana Taylor calls the archive. Um, CDs, DVDs, books, movies, etc. Um, but throughout history, we've relied more on transmitting knowledge through the repertoire, through embodied ways of knowing. You're standing with your grandmother and she's cooking at the stove. The storyteller is telling you the story of your people. This dance is explaining something. These sort of embodied land ways. Um, and I needed to receive the, I needed to receive the transmission orally. I, uh, I think that's what a lot of what inspired Sarah and I to even do these podcasts is because I personally, although I love to read, I have sometimes a lot of trouble understanding the, the messages that are behind the words unless I hear them spoken. If I can have a conversation with somebody, I can understand where they're coming from very rapidly in a spiritual sense. But when it's from a book, sometimes it, it, it it's just not the same. Just not the, not the same. Um, and so, I mean, even the, even the difference to me between having a book in my hand versus reading something, you know, online, mm -hmm. there are these differences in terms of how we process information. And um, it's just so interesting now when I think about how dry the Wikipedia pages are, all the Dionysian <laughs> mysteries and the Orphic mysteries versus how I receive it. Like I, that person who gave me that transmission, I almost want to like, you know, create a really beautiful video of them sharing that history because, and that would be yet again, moving from repertoire to archive, maybe that wouldn't translate. Maybe they mm -hmm. need a, a, you know, a, a huge coliseum to tell it in. Um, but these ways of transmitting information do matter. And it's something that we explore in the pagan and animistic traditions all the time in the conversation of, do I need a human teacher? And everyone's like, no, you just need a book. Um, I, I needed to sit with a live human being who is deeply rooted in the Greek language and the Greek culture and this history, you know, I need to experience, I needed to receive it in an embodied way. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, it's, it, so the way that I, I, I'm really hitting this is from the, the heathen angle with the runes, because when I first started researching the runes, because that's part of what, Odin was having me go through when I first started all this. It was a lot of books were saying a lot of the same stuff. There's a point at which your archives are repeating themselves, and mm -hmm. that's a problem. Um, yes. And this is where a life, a living teacher who's living in the tradition and is doing the work, that's where the, the rubber really meets the road. Because mm -hmm. you can tell me all day, all night, read Culpepper's, for instance, and you'll get all the herbal correspondences you need. Well, if I don't know, know astrology for shit, it's not going to do me a bit of good. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and to watch people work with 
watching someone work with versus someone telling you how to work with is a mm-hmm. whole different story. I, I really, um, I was a public hoodoo root doctor before I um, had, before I, I trained in person with anyone. I was talking on the phone a lot with the late Eddie Gutierrez um, of ConjureDoctor.com, um, who's, um, who's, widower and mother maintain his legacy through that website um and their practices and um i would you know i was studying um the unnamed path shamanic witchcraft tradition for men who love men with him um so we talk on the phone a lot and we you know developed a friendship and he was um he was opening you know his he was running his hoodoo practice and he was encouraging me to move in that direction and he would give me a lot of tips and stuff and um confidence was a bit of an issue for some time mm-hmm. uh, and i remember the week I'll, I'll never forget the week that i actually went out to la to study with him um i went out to la to initiate finally into the tradition that um into the unnamed path tradition um but because i had this other relationship with him too where he was helping me um gain my footing as a as a root doctor um that was huge for me mm-hmm. to, to do spell work with him and um, go to the cemetery and work with him there and watch him do readings for clients. That was invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, these are embodied ways for a reason. Um, and the idea that we can get all of what we need just through books Um is I think kind of Western arrogance. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the older traditions you did, you learned a lot just by sitting and watching the elders work and you didn't get the luxury even of asking questions, much less have a book. <laughs> oh my God, you know what man. I mean? Like uh, a few, what was it last year, the year before Sarah and I at Michigan pagan fest, we were part of a, a basically a panel discussion where we had mm-hmm. several elders and we sat around and we talked as elders about issues that we were seeing and what we wanted to talk about. And the guests were invited to sit and maybe if we were feeling extremely generous, we might answer a question. I hope there were pipes and I hope there were sticks. (laughs) There were pipes. There were pipes. Yeah. Yeah. It was Glenn Brown, right? Yep, I think uh, he had a pipe, and I think both of us had a pipe as well. Right, his 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 pipe was a little more impressive his than pipe, ours. But... Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're bringing up something that I've been thinking about um, recently, which is um, the term gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. I've only heard the term in the past few months or so, and like in a like, st- stop being such a gatekeeper. And oh god, um, I hate that attitude. Mm-hmm. And, and I like. Even for the first minute, first month I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I can understand, like, the need for things to be more egalitarian, and so many more things are far more um, widely experienced. You know, even um, something that Christina Pratt says, which is um, the shamanic initiatory experience is profound, but all humans are called to initiation, so these shamanic initiatory experiences like extremely profound. Not everything, you know, but but not everything needs to be extremely profound. We're all supposed to be, you know. There's, I think, a, a, a with our identity issues here in America, um, we're called. We we all 
feel a desire for the extreme and for the intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the idea of gatekeeping, it matters. It matters not to keep people out of things, but if someone is saying this, if someone is trying to say this gate isn't for you, first of all, they could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But then also, if that gate isn't for you, it's because there's a gate that is. And banging on this door is a distraction. Well, and I so, mean, initiations in general are gates. Like, you don't just freely walk to the end of all the mysteries. There are challenges, there are gates, there are barriers and initiations you have to cross. And I, I think that, uh, I don't know, gatekeeper could be taken in a negative context, but really it's not. Well, I think not just initiations, but also traditions, also knowledge in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the reason why you have a, a difficulty making sense of all of this is because here in our culture, knowledge is something that we think you can consume. Mm. Whereas in many traditional cultures, there's no such thing as head knowledge. There's no such thing as just knowing something in your mind. Knowledge is something that has become a part of you, not something that you've just read for a book. So I think that that, idea is something that we find maintained in a lot of our traditions but it's not something that translates well i think you i think you you, touching back on something you mentioned earlier because you can archive it you can commoditize it Mm -hmm. yes and i think the 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 great mistake a lot of folks when they look at gatekeepers and turn their nose up at the concept i think what they're missing is that the gatekeeper is there for a multitude of functions, and most of them have nothing to do with uh, <laughs> the person they might be saying no to. It has everything to do with the spirits they're serving. Yes. And it's not about you. And it's truth be told, it's not about the gatekeeper either. It's about what they're keeping. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I myself have experienced divination where I've been told by the person in front of me, you're not allowed to know this yet. Mm-hmm. or you're not allowed to know this piece at all. This is for me to know and for me to help prepare you for. Or, you yep. know, we're going to have to work around this in some way. You know, um, gatekeeping matters. Obviously, we are in a particular point, I think, in our in the pagan community where we are facing the long-standing elders um, some of whom have been abusive, mm-hmm. some of whom have been abusive even in their ritual practices and formats. Um, so I think it's bringing up the questioning of gatekeeping overall. Do we even need teachers? Do we even need elders? Um, and you know, this is important things for us to, you know, questions for us to struggle with. But I hope that we, um, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that we do need elders and we need teachers, but we need elders and teachers that are willing to call each other out and not turn a blind eye to issues and problems. Absolutely. Yes, collusion is a really big deal when it comes to abuse. It's so common if we look at Harvey Weinstein, if we look at... Um, you know, the surviving R. Kelly documentary that just came out this past weekend. Um, 
you know, people are bringing up, this is not just about the abuser. Mm-hmm. This is about the decades of willing collusion and what leads to that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, okay. I'm, can I, can I take a moment of irony here? Um, since we were talking about commodities and commoditization, I realize that my next question is going to be kind of ironic, but on your website, um, and one of the things I see you talk about on Facebook a lot that it seems to me makes a huge amount of impact is the spirit helper consultations that you offer. Would you be willing to talk about what that process is like and what people expect and that sort of thing? Because I think that's one of the, the things that you do that just seems to make a huge impact with the people that have had it done. Yeah, and I'm, they're definitely um, the most common. I think I'm trying to express through my practice that I am. Uh, I think some people are sort of like wondering, so what do you do now? Who are you now? We we had an idea of who you were before, but what happened to you? Um, so I, I'm kind of, you know, trying to express through my practice still that I, you know, I am a root doctor um, and I, I do handle, you know, different kinds of, you know, mundane life conditions that might show up, uh, money, love, you know, as those, you know, are things that come up to very, very often in people's lives, court cases, especially I love legal work, magically, frankly. Um, but I am, you know, still trying to make sense of the language with which to express my practice and background. Um, so as not to exploit my traditions, but to say, I am able to serve in this way. Um, but that I've got it muted, so you're okay. um, service I offer is the most popular I muted, they, so you're okay. for, I mean, for me, they're not to mystify or demystify them. They're just real simple. <laughs> they're, um, I call in my spirits. Um, and I have, you know, different, um, words I use to call them in no foreign languages. I'm just calling in the spirits who are of mine that are protective and, uh, that know what I'm doing in this work with mediumship and that know, uh, I also call, I make a point to call in, uh, spirits that can work as good translators. Some of, some people have spirits walking with them that are real interesting, real ancient, real cosmic and i'm not going to be you know an arrogant asshole and think that i know exactly what they're saying you know this is a this is a conversation we're all sitting at this table and i'm just going to do my best to convey this information to you about you from your people um sometimes the spirits that show up are really um really 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 unique and ancient and um and I'm, you know, in this position that I, a position that I, I fucking love of trying <laughs> to convey what this either extremely ancient or non-human sometimes spirit's perspective is on this person's life and not on a, well, yeah, you should date Frank. He's good for you. But more of this, don't you know who you are? <laughs> Yeah, translators, I can see where that'd be important because it's like, even if they're not a big, uh, big cosmic entity or something, it's like, I think this is an ancestor and I'm pretty sure that's Ukrainian. I might need some help here. Yeah, yeah. Or this is this, you know, platypus, you know, <laughs> um, literally, um, you know, these, you know, animal helping spirits show up. And, it's, and it kind of makes me sad that um, 
you know, on one hand, there is the appropriative language of spirit animal that mm-hmm. is uh, at least, you know, two blog posts worth of stuff to work through um, from an appropriation of, Amer- of American Indian traditions piece. But then on the other side of that is the idea that like spirit animals or having animal helping spirits is just cuddly bullshit, you know, just like, and Fox, you know, says be clever. Like when, if, if, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like Fox shows up in this, you know, it, it, animal helping spirits do show up in these sessions. There's nothing cuddly or adorable about them. It's not that they're all fangs and I'm going to eat you in the night, but that they're showing up with this profundity, mm-hmm. with this profundity in regards to your power. And they're trying to convey that and help you see it. So I call in my spirits, but I'm calling in my spirits be- to help me call in your spirits because right. it's your spirits that I'm calling in. I'm not calling in the whole gang. I'm calling in the um, spirits that are especially att- the spirits that are especially tied to your innate soul's purpose in this lifetime. Uh, and usually in these sessions, um, most commonly, I experience um, some ancestors from different time periods, uh, going back to very ancient times, sometimes going back past 50 years. Um, if you have, if some of the medicine that you're carrying in this lifetime reflects their medicine, then they might show up. Um, I've had uh, animal helping spirits do show up of all kinds. Um, recently, I had the experience of certain animal helping spirits showing up not to so much express the individual I was reading for their soul's purpose, but they were trying to indicate an ancestral issue that that person was having. Mm. And it was so interesting too, to watch these two animals interact in a way that was trying to convey to me what the ancestral issue was. Gotcha. They were like, look at how we're interacting. This is what's playing out in this person's ancestral lines. And this is what needs to be figured out from that. Um, so that was, that's why the reason why I call on translators, because you see a, you know, a giraffe and a platypus, you know, with boxing gloves on, dueling it out on a swamp. Like, well, what the <laughs> fuck does this mean? That's an interesting um, point because, uh, you know, I never really thought about that, but I, I'm going to have to pay better attention to that because uh, I know, like, a lot of times you might have, we'll go back to Fox since you used that as an example, Fox might show up when you're doing work for somebody and it might not actually be their Fox. It might be their grandmother's or their great-grandmother's Fox that it was there that is trying to convey the message it's not actually yours but it's there anyway so true and you know it's funny that you say that because something that i one thing that i'm, I'm actually have to have to navigate i've had to navigate more than once is um if specifically um sea turtle shows up if sea turtle specifically shows up my first question always is are you sea turtle or are you the turtle that has the earth on its back from the American Indian <laughs> mythology? Because those are two different turtles. Right. 
Um, and and it depends. Sometimes it's like, no, mm-hmm. just a sea turtle, just a sea turtle. You know, like, <laughs> just, just your friend, local friendly sea turtle walking with this person. And sometimes it's like, no, look at me. I've got the whole earth on my back. I'm coming from this tradition. And then and then I'm, and then you know, as a contemporary Western person, I'm always in this very sensitive position because who the fuck am I to convey information from the sea turtle? you know, that <laughs> has the earth on its back from certain American Indian traditions. So in those situations, um, I'm going to convey the information that I get. I'm going to give this disclaimer that I'm in a very unique position and then I'm going to refer you to someone from the tradition mm-hmm. or suggest that you find someone from the tradition to um, not confirm whatever I've had to say, but take what I have to say with a grain of salt and, you know, if this is walking with you, if grandmother spy, if you know, is this is this a spider or is this grandmother spider? Right. You know, because um, it's grandmother spider, it's a spider. Then get thee to a Lakota pipe carrier. You know, something of that nature. Um, so um, yeah, I, I I've had some spirits from different you know different traditions go show up, and I I try to refer people. Um, during those sessions, but sometimes the um, spirit helpers consultations do turn into a journey work session where I have got to pull out my drum and um, we've got to go into journey just because the spirits are saying that it is more important for us to resolve something standing in the way of your connection with us than for us to just spell it all out, which is very similar to my relationship with Dionysus. Mm -hmm. Um, Spirits will show, show up and they'll sit on they'll sit in the stands until you're ready for them um they'll sit in the stands until you and what ready for them could be (laughs) some more patiently than others odin (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally going to hang up on you right now (laughs) like literally going to (laughs) literally oh my gosh Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, you took the words right and I freaking know. Um, some of the, yeah, some of these spirits will sit on the stands until you are ready to let go of that relationship, until you're ready to stop, you know, the stop that bullshit that you're doing. Um, for me, in one of my processes, I had to do major clearing on my heart. I had to work for about two years with um, this specific cosmology and with hummingbird mm. and the element of water um, to really, really clear my heart. And I had been told that there were some shifts that were going to happen in my spiritual court. And the people that were leaving were not go- They were going to be replaced at a date to be announced. <laughs> and it was like, what? Like, y'all are just going to abandon me like this? <laughs> like, y'all are just going to bounce and, like, to date, you know, to be announced? Like fuck you. And, um, and as I cleared my heart really diligently for about a year and a half, and I remember knowing that the work I was doing mattered because I was sitting in a pizza shop on Halloween and these little kids came in all of different ethnicities and the Italian, uh, pizza shop owner pulled out candy and gave it to all these little kids in costumes. And I'm sitting here with my slice of pizza and I start crying because the beauty of public cultural ritual being maintained, the diversity, all these children. I was like, oh shit, I'm crying. I'm actually 
this work I'm doing to clear my heart actually is working. And um, it was shortly after that that the new cohort arrived um, and let me know very um, in fun ways that they were there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, with Spirit Helpers Consultations, they are, um, from my end, I'm just tracking. I'm, I'm trying to call on the right spirits, and I am trying my best to track information from these spirits in a way that can provide the person who I'm speaking to with very clear actions. They, there's, a, I think there's, I think people leave with the energy of a large vision. That's a piece of their soul's purpose or related to the fulfillment of their soul's purpose and very clear, specific action steps toward doing that better. Yeah, and that's definitely not an easy thing, knowing what, the, I mean, that's so valuable because I know a, a lot of people, myself included at times, you really have, I've really struggled with, you know, knowing even something as clear is, am I pointing north or am I pointing south? You know, like, give yes. me a little hint here. I need some help on this message, please. And, and, and I'm so glad you said that because it really is an issue of orientation, um, it really is an issue of orientation, and and there are spirits that do have your best interest in mind. And I mean, I have really, really beautiful spirits that I work with who I would not call so much. I would not use the word helping spirit for them, not because they weren't a helping spirit, but because I like. It's a term that I like to um, keep for those spirits that I know are specifically tied to my soul's purpose. There are other spirits that walk with, you know, there are, for instance, my Loa, um, my Mettet is strongly tied to my soul's purpose. And he is a very, um, your Mettet in, in Vodou is similar to, in the Orisha traditions, um, your crown, the spirit that, you know, the, the, the spirit that crowns you, that's kind of a, you know, a good enough parallel. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, very helpful to know who your spirit is. And it's not something that you can find out online or someone can just read for you listeners that's some more drawn out process than that just letting you know because there's a lot of people who say they can tell you that kind of information with a tarot card reading they cannot no one can tell you the orisha who crowns you or your met tet and vodou through a tarot card reading just putting that out there um but when you do find out that kind of information it is absolutely a a true north Mm -hmm. kind of a thing that's so helpful because again we humans were so good at inventing things to distract ourselves and each other but i can look back at my met tat and i can be like oh yeah it's 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 totally within my true nature to act in this way to do this to take this action um because i can see those qualities those positive qualities uh reflected in him you know mm -hmm. makes sense all too well Something I wanted to pick up on that you've, you've mentioned a couple of times is working through both mental and spiritual blocks together in the same blow. Um, yeah, I, I connect with that very deeply. I've been through the ringer with therapy for the last year, working through PTSD and anxiety, and it's been an all above process. I would not have gotten as far as I have without the spiritual foundation and without the, the help of the therapist involved. And I love that you consistently tie these things back together 
because they're really not separate uh, when you get right down to brass tacks. Absolutely. Um, I, get, I, I get excited I mean, when people tell me that they're, they want to work with me and they're working with a therapist. Not saying that that's necessary, but what it does is it tells me that this person also has additional support systems. Um, can, uh, well, what is the 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 idea? The one idea that I think is important is um, wounds that take place within community can only be healed within community. And like, really, what wounds don't take place in the community? What wounds haven't been dealt to us by others? <laughs> you know, so those very wounds, I think, are always going to need um, the container of community, even if it's just a um a therapist you know even if it's just a therapist um not and i don't see just a therapist as in that's not a great role i mean just a therapist versus you know an entire drum circle you know unfortunately we don't all have yet entire <laughs> drum circle to to be able to you know hold the nurturings nourishing supportive space for us that we need um but knowing that after a session with me that if we brought back a couple of soul parts and cleared an ancestral pattern and you're thinking to yourself, Oh my God, granddad did deal with that. And then dad shut down. And then here I am three years old, wondering why I couldn't reach the cookie jar. And then the thing happened, like knowing that after hour, hour and a, you know, hour to hour and a half long session, you do have people that you can go and like ping ideas off of as you work through your process. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Cause Lord knows I've got people in my speed dial, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm calling up, you know, every couple of days is like, Hey boo, how are you doing? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. This, that, and the other. Did you know the dream I had last night? Doesn't that speak to, and and what's necessary for me is that these people know me. These people already know me. These people already know my process. They know what has led me to this point and they're able to hold space for, you know, whatever my immediate, acute perspective is mm-hmm. and i'm like having a particular down day they're like yeah boo but you're amazing because like you remember what happened last week and like oh that's great you know shifts in perspectives um and having people who know you we we, we need to stop devaluing support systems mm-hmm. well isn't that the isn't the, the 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 very nature of shamanism knowing who to go talk to whether that be a spirit or another person it's like uh you know, the, the old joke is, you know, oh, that's not me. That's the shaman on the next mountain over you need to go talk to. That's that's the whole oh key God. of it. You know what I mean? So right. Yeah. And it's and because we're not in, you know, because we're doing this as contemporary Westerners, I think it's easy for us to forget that humans are a part of that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, you know, there's that and possibly, you know, our addiction to intensity that can make us forget maybe the medicine that's needed here most is the hug from a best friend. Maybe that's the real medicine. Maybe that's the medicine that, you know, no exotic Amazonian plant could provide for you right now. Wow. The addiction of intensity. I really like that phrase. I mean, that really speaks to so many problems and issues in our lives and society in general, doesn't it? I think so. Um, I had a, I had the, great privilege of finding myself um in the underworld in a social way some years back um uh sort of moving in some circles that were unique to me but also 
really informative for me about some of some aspects of our world. And, uh, and in those circles, I was able to see uh, how easy it is for us to fall into addiction to intensity mm-hmm. um, in addition to other things, but addiction to intensity goes really well. It's like a really great um, like side dish to anything you're eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, you see it so much. Like uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like when we're talking about spiritual traditions is ayahuasca, which I know some people have had some really profound experiences on, and I'm not discounting the, that plant spirit helper at all. But what I notice is in our society, it's not like I had one ayahuasca experience in my lifetime and I learned a whole lot. It's like, no, dude, I'd like 50 times last year. I was in South America for a month. We did ayahuasca three times a day. It's like, wait, no, that's that's not what it's there. No, just no. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, some of the sometimes even, you know, some threads on Facebook, um, mm-hmm. you know, in different occult groups. Um, our, our lives are, our lives are supposed to be so much more meaningful and these fuckers have just sapped the technicolor out of what is supposed to be an incredible life. Um, and we're searching for meaning and, um, I'm really lucky to have one of my cosmologies. We look at the idea of addiction to intensity in relation to the heart Mm-hmm. And um, and the idea of whether or not the heart is full. So I view addiction to intensity. I, I kind of use the idea of if let's say you were wired to smell and react to the smell of an organic rose. Mm-hmm. Like let's say that's what you needed and were there for. And let's say I never provide you with that. Let's say I give you synthetic rose. You will huff synthetic rose to death trying to get something that you'll never get out of it sure Um, yeah exactly as human beings are wired for the sacred we're wired for communal sacred experiences we're wired for visionary experiences how do you know who you are and where you are Mm -hmm. you leave that's the only way to know where you are and how you are whether that is you leave to go into the forest to experience initiatory adulthood stuff and then you come back to the village or you leave on your gap year to go to Europe and then you come back. It's just, a th- or you leave into the spirit world and then you come back. We orient ourselves by leaving and coming back. Um, but because the structures, we don't have the structures in our culture for us to do that in a good way. We're being really intense mm-hmm. <laughs> about some stuff and, uh, and exotifying some stuff, uh, trying to fill that hole. Well, it seems to me that even the shadow of uh, addiction to intensity could sneak in in very unsuspecting ways. Like, you know, you run into those people that, you know, I prayed 25 times today. Really? That's what your gods want? Are you sure? Are you sure that's what they want out of your life? Is that many prayers to them? Like if there's not something specifically that you're working on that requires that for a short period of time, I can understand it. But like, really, is that all they want out of you is 25 prayers a day and you're not, they don't want you to live a better life. And you know what I mean? Like it could sneak in in those ways and really surprise you. That would be, that seems to me to be a, a shadow that could be very pervasive in our society. I think it is. I think it, is everywhere and I'm not immune, you know, um, it's something that I think is something that 
you catch and then you start healing what are the beliefs that are leading to this but it's it's something that you have to catch it's not something that i think that we can all just like get off of this podcast and be like well great i won't do that um my spirit my spirits and i have because i think that something that's helpful is developing a um a, a symbolic language with your spirits um if i'm in journey investigating some problem and they show me an exclamation point that's their um that's their symbol for hey dude you're acting out of addiction to intensity <laughs> um and that's really helpful <laughs> you know spirits with cue cards very helpful <laughs> <laughs> See, that's interesting that you, you both are picking up on that. Whereas in the in the heathen community, I'm almost seeing the complete opposite, where there's this real, and I, I think maybe it's it's addiction to intensity by a different route, if if you want to put it that way. Because in a lot of the heathen community, the role of the gods in your life is very downplayed, very uh, compartmentalized. Oh, you know, in some cases, there are some communities of heathens that are like the gods don't talk to us unless we're in community. That's it. You know, we cannot have personal relationships only through community. And, and I, I don't hold to that, but there's a lot of these kind of pervasive attitudes, at least in, in the heathen community, where it's very um, everything is downplayed. If it doesn't comport exactly, if it doesn't do this in a certain way, then oh, you couldn't possibly have had this experience. There's this it's it's almost like the polar opposite. No, so it's, no, it's, it's, like it's actually it's actually the same thing. It's just yeah. a different symptom because the intensity that I see in the in the heathen community that you're talking about is that intensity of I'm operating alone. I am an island. I am a warrior unto myself or the addiction to mm -hmm. the intensity of I have read all the books. I have read all of these studies. I know this is your practice can't be authentic because it wasn't documented in these five places. It's a different sort of addiction to intensity. It's a different thing that, uh, that is, they're expressing their intensity with, but it's that same addiction to intensity. And I think what, I think that what, what Sarenth is all, I, I totally agree. I think what Sarenth is also speaking to might be because you're such, you're, you're so devotional is, you know, the pain of knowing that people could be replacing that addiction to rational intensity or compartmentalized intensity with like greater intimacy. Mm. That can be really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. That can be really frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I leave these, um, I leave some of these spirit helpers consultations crying. You know, I'm, there's literally sessions where I'm crying and the other person's crying. And I'm like, just because to, to help, mediate people reconnecting with old friends that they didn't even have, like know that they had, like there is, there are intimacy issues in our culture. And I feel like intimacy, a lack of intimacy is at like a lack, a lack of actual intimacy is at the root of addiction to intensity. In fact, um, some of the articles that are coming out recently about addiction are saying, Oh shit, the antidote to addiction is not, incarceration the antidote to addiction is connection mm -hmm. and i would mm -hmm. say spirit relationships all kinds of relationships and the quality of those relationships matters yeah i 
I really want to hit on, on um, there was a psychological test thing that, that was done. I can't remember the exact study, but they did it in, in uh, I believe it was rats, where they, they tested what it would be like to, they basically set up the ideal conditions for rats to live on the one hand and then they had a control group and then they had uh, the polar opposite where bear cage and uh, heroin or something like that, like some sort of drug that would just numb you. And they found that the, you know, despite the availability of heroin in the cage that was designed for like rat fantasy land and it was like everything ideal, they didn't want any of it. They actively avoided the, the drug that they introduced into the environment because they didn't need it because they didn't need to numb anything. Hmm. Whereas the opposite, the, the polar opposite, um, control the control group kind of just went, eh, I'll occasionally indulge, but it doesn't really do much for me. I'll just eat my pellets and go sleep in the corner. No big deal. And the control group was kind of like the middle ground between the fantasy land and barren nothing. And the barren nothings like almost overconsumed to the point of killing themselves because it was just bare cage, no contact with other rats, no nothing. It was like they on the on their own, alone. And they would like overindulge just to numb themselves. And I think that that is like really at the core of what you're what we've been talking about for the last little bit here is you know, you're talking about whether it's it's connection with your ancestors, connection with your gods, connection with your spirits, you know, you, like you said, we we are wired for the sacred and we don't get it we'll look for whatever drug happens to fill that hole or mm-hmm. whatever activity fills that hole yeah either fills that hole or numbs us out of the pain of that loss of connection and for those mm-hmm. listening you know keep in mind this is not us saying hugs not drugs um because uh, no <laughs> <laughs> definitely not you know like you know we're, we're these are ideas that we're going you know we're talking about from a wide berth of perspectives and there's a lot that we're all dealing with culturally and individually so that's definitely not the intention here yeah but, hugs um, won't fix my insulin dependency exactly um exactly um but we um but this does help us shed a light i think on the role of intimacy in our lives um which our culture kind of tries to tell us that we have less and less time for. We only have more and more time to work right? <laughs> for, uh, you know, and that's, that's part of the problem. Well, I, I know I'm fully aware that correlation does not equate to causation, but I do. Mm-hmm. The first thing that popped to mind, Sarah, when you were talking about that is, huh? Interesting. Uh, when you're talking about that study, how the uh, opioid, opioid addiction has probably in some ways mirrored our social media addiction. So we're removing intimacy and replacing it with. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's hitting the exact same essential neuro triggers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pounding them. It's not just, it's not just lightly touching them anymore. You know, when you get a like on Facebook, your brain shoots up with the same receptors that a hit of a really good narcotic. Well, no, what, what I mean is essentially is by, by switching so much to social media, we're removing the human contact, uh, the, the touch, the face to face conversations and that sort of thing. And there might be a temptation there to replace it with more and more addictive substances that are, they're like doing what that study said, or, you know, when, when the intimacy is removed, that the, the rats resorted Mm -hmm. to the drugs more. I'm, 
makes me curious anyway. I mean, obviously that is not my field to study, but. No, both of these are such really important perspectives. And I think that um, you're kind of moving this back into the realm of more in the realm of spirit, you know, um, I, I think that there's this tendency in a lot of circles to just kind of want to put our spirits at arm's length because w- what they frequently ask us to do is is frightening. I mean, especially when you're talking about intimacy starvation. Right. I mean, one of the hardest things Freya asked me to do when I began working with her was to go to a LGBTQ talk circle when I was in college. I didn't want to talk about being pansexual with anybody, let alone other people in the community. I didn't want that kind of intimacy. Why would I want to, why would I, I didn't even want to come out to my family. Why the hell would I want to come out to strangers or people that could become friends? You know, and, and some of the, the hardest things that my guys have asked me to do is just open up. Yeah. I'm so glad that you, thank you so much for sharing that because I, that's to me is like, this comes back to to the true north conversation and part of the reason the part of the reason why you know that something is true north is um you it scares you it scares you but you know it will serve you um and that is you know and that's like that tells me like oh yeah you've got a relationship with freya freya's in your life <laughs> you know um because because <laughs> that's love mm-hmm. Because that's her. That's that is that is her saying, "I love you, and I want more of you." And that I mean, sorry, I'm getting emotional. That's love. It's all good. I am too. You know. <clears throat> um. Oh man. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Um, but like I um I um. One of my primary spirits is uh, is dragonfly, and God, that that relationship has uh, been hugely important to me over the years, um, because he's um, something that I, I did have a lot of struggle finding was my own center in terms of uh, being being a man and. Um, yeah, being a man and certain and being a man who is queer and who did not um, have a father who loved him and also who did not have some of the um, found the foundational or like initiatory experiences that a young man can I'm not talking about going into the forest with a wild god, you know, so much as going into the forest with a cap counselor, <laughs> you know, like there were um, certain things that I think I was called to experience that due to some, neg- due to a combination of neglect and, um, and my own fears about being queer and certain other family factors I just never got. So I, I remember um, doing some, you know, emotional clearing work on myself and being brought to a scene in um, middle school. And I was looking at myself in middle school, eighth grade, uh, you know, standing at the lockers. And I was like, oh, okay, what's traumatic about this scene? What, what do you need, kid? And, um, 
this eighth grade me points down the hallway to the jocks. And I'm like, oh, did something happen that I don't remember? I blocked out. Like, what happened? Like, you need, you know, do you need me to walk over there with you? And he's like, yeah, I need to walk over there with you. So we walk over in this scene, uh, you know, just in, you know, a light trance state, walk over to the jocks. And I'm like, what do you need, kid? Like, what, what happened? And he points to their helmets and he needs them to affirm him. And he needs them to put like a football helmet on him. And it was like, whoa, like in that one moment, I was able to be like, oh, shit, I was supposed to do like team sports, which, you know, was like kind of like <laughs> loaded for a lot of folks who, you know, obviously there's the story of, you know, cultural jock privilege and stuff. It's not, it's not a story that I lived, but it put so much more about myself, these things that felt like they were very disparate parts of me. Something about being performative, something about being embodied, something about, oh, yeah, it does feel really good when I work out, something about, oh, yeah, there's some part of me that really does need, like, male camaraderie. It all put it into perspective, like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. I missed out on some, like, really formative experiences that would have really served me uh, at that age. And, um, and what you know, coming back to, you know, those sort of small actions that spirit tells you to do that you're like, all right, or my dragonfly literally had me like, go get a football and just play around with it like every day, you know, just like throwing it up in the air and just the shift that 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 made my energy, that 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 was literally a tool, like a football as a shamanic tool, my new essay, literally (laughs) a tool for helping um, shift my perspective and a tool that I felt entirely disenfranchised from. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you have such a relationship with Dragonfly and, and Hummingbird both because I, I have very close connections to both of those myself. So that's great. Yeah, people need to get on this amazing, like, you know, animals be holding it down. Like <laughs> <laughs> they, they really have been holding it down forever, so we have to work this out because. <laughs> well, you know, my friends, I I I hate to do this because we're having so much fun, but we're going on, we're closing in on a couple hours here, so I'm wondering if we might want to think about bringing it around to a close before we end up spending all night having this fun and yeah. getting nothing else done. So. <laughs> oh totally thank you guys so much for having me this has been great really appreciate it do you have any other uh, upcoming events or anything else that you'd like to talk about yourself um hopefully i'll be presenting at a couple of conferences this year um but nothing is solidified just yet so um if you want to find me on uh twitter or kyron armand or uh instagram kyron armand or uh even you know my facebook page impact shamanism um I try to keep things, you know, fairly well updated. Really appreciate, I appreciate you. So yeah, much. it was this was a great conversation. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. And you guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening to us tonight and uh, we'll be coming up again really soon with some other amazing interviews and maybe even Sarah and I'll have a chance to get caught up, but uh, thank you so much Sarah for joining me again and thank you everybody Absolutely. for listening. Have a good night all.
Oh, oh, oh. 